Welcome to another episode of Season Sports with me, Asmir Begovic, where today I'm very excited to be joined by one of the best sports psychologists in the game and in sports all around, Dan Abrahams. Dan, welcome to the show. Asmir, it is an honor and a pleasure to uh, be invited, mate. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, it's been uh, well overdue. You and I have obviously known each other for almost three years with our relationship in Bournemouth, of course. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, done this, I've done this before in my show where, of course, we talk about current sporting events and things that are going on. But obviously, even throughout the years, we've always been able to bring on some specialists in their field and people who I think are can give, um, give up some really good knowledge and also... Um, enlighten people in a different way and i think you're you're a perfect man for this so no pressure. especially with the world especially the world that we're living in today so i think you can give us some really good insight and some positive mindsets and i think just um to be a big benefit to people all around so but first and foremost are you well are you healthy how's you, how are you your family everything okay yeah look, well thank you for asking um I, i'm well i'm i'm healthy um Hey, other than coming into hay fever season, which I get quite badly, oh, but that uh, pales into insignificance as compared to what everyone's been going through. And I just, you know, um, hope you and everybody there in Milan as well and everybody around the world, it's uh, it's been a tough time for everybody. But I'm I'm fine. Um, I'm on lockdown here in a, a small town called Cheltenham in the west of England. Um, uh, as you know yourself, as, as you said, we've done some stuff together at Bournemouth over the years and... Um, my two-hour commute down to Bournemouth uh, from from Cheltenham, so I'm I'm in the middle of England, and uh, it's been tough. It's been tough, mate. But um, just doing what I've got to do each day, writing, enjoying writing, talking with clients that I work with, and just pushing on, really, which is all we can do, eh, mate? Absolutely, mate. Abs- absolutely. Um, before we get into current matters and everything, you know, I want to kind of take take you back in time a little bit. So. A few years ago, started off as a professional golfer, um, I believe, mm. from, from what the story you told me. And then you made the switch into being, I guess, a sports psychologist. I mean, how did that all happen? Take me back a little bit in time. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't fib to you, mate. I was a professional golfer. I, wasn't, I wouldn't exactly say I was the world's greatest professional golfer. Um, and I'm probably a sports psychologist now because of because of golf. But I I saw a few uh, sports psychs myself when I was playing, when I was competing. I mean, it's one of those sports that has actually used sports psychologists for oh, probably well over 40 years now. You know, so it's 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 a it's a sport that it's well acquainted with sports psychology. And then when I finished playing, when it got to a point where I realized, oh, this is just going to be a little bit too hard for me to, to match your Tiger Woods and, and Phil Mickelson's. I, um, I put down the clubs from a playing perspective and, and put my coaching cap on and became a fully qualified coach. And I probably fell in love even more with the psychological side of sport when I was coaching. You know, it's, it, it's interesting as a golf coach because you're you're spending 40 hours a week coaching. You know, you're, you're there at the range and you're, you're, you're spending a half an hour with the housewife, an hour with the businessman and then the junior golfer and then the senior golfer and then the pro golfer. And you just see so many different people and, and then a bunch of, I don't know, 50, 60, six-year-olds that you're, you're trying to control and it's chaos. And so you have all these great experiences. And um, 
I think through that experience, I fell in love more with the psychological side of sport. And as I was coaching, I went back and did my qualifications, my degree, my master's degree. I was supervised as a sports psychologist, which you have to do. And and I became a registered sports psychologist about 15 years ago. Um, and really, I mean, in terms of when it comes to, to, to football, just briefly, I, um, I, I, it was interesting as a sports psychologist because sorry as a, as a golfer because i i i listened to sports psychologists speak and they were always or quite often say something that i thought as a golfer mm, that just doesn't add up you know it just it's not delivered in my language and so um i i was quite passionate about finding another sport other than golf that i really wanted to learn about from a psychological from not just from a psychological perspective but really learn about the language of the sport and the specific challenges that players face and so it's football i started to get involved in non-league uh football 15 years ago and it just built from there really mate and and so now i, I work across all sports but i specialize in golf and football uh, i've worked in football for 15 years and um yeah just uh, i've been blessed with the opportunity to work with in great teams and with great players like yourself and um it's great fun did it did it start for you working more with individuals as you as you say than than teams at first and then sort of working your you working your way through the ranks as you would like as you would call it that's a great question i oh, no i think really both i think i was doing both from the get-go you know what i started working 15 years ago at non-league level uh, in football again just to reiterate, to learn the language and the specific challenges that players face. And I joined a team yeah. who, in, in essence, were in the sixth division in England uh, alongside a, uh, a manager called Wayne Burnett, who's now the uh, under-23s coach at Spurs um, and has been working now under Pochettino and Mourinho. So what a wonderful, you know, he's done so well for himself. But I learned so much for him and his assistant coaches. And I learned a lot about leadership and teamship and relationship in, in, in football. I learned a lot about motivation from a team perspective and mental skills and, 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 and psychologically informed environments. So, but at the same time, you know, that's when I got introduced to uh, Carlton Cole at West Ham, who uh, I can talk about because he allowed me to talk about him in my first book, Soccer Tough. And then uh, he introduced me to Anton Ferdinand, who introduced me to a couple of other West Ham players. So it sort of, at that time, it built from a team perspective, but it also built from an individual perspective. And, you know, over the years, I've had contracts at West Ham, Fulham, QPR, Derby, obviously still doing some stuff at Bournemouth. Uh, but at the same time, you have the opportunity to work with individuals as well in football and in other sports. So you, you kind of do both. So, um, yeah, the experiences grew together, I would say. I think it's fascinating, um, you know, that, that, that line of work. But how does it differ? How does it differ working with teams mm. to individuals? I guess because also when you talk about football or rugby or whatever, you know, all these other sports, it's still individuals within a team. How, how does that differ working with individuals in a team? Yeah, another really great question. And, and sometimes, you know, as the whether how you work often depends on what the manager wants or what the head coach wants. And sometimes you'll find uh, that a head coach just wants you to work with individuals and not with the team 
uh, as, as a whole. Other times they're a little bit more open to that. So the first thing I'd say is um, you are, I suppose, this is the wrong term for it, but you're somewhat uh, at the slave, at the mercy of what the manager or head coach wants. That's Sure, because he's in charge, right? Yeah, he's in charge. He's in charge. Yeah. I always like to think that I'm now in a position in my career whereby I can say, Ah, oh, you know what, Gaffer? You know what, Mister? As they say in Italy, I know. You're yeah, yeah. Mister, right? Um, I, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing it this way? You know, I know you don't want me to work with the team, but these might be the advantages if we go down that path. You know, and try to present the different options. I, I, I think that that's important to do, uh, to be a great, uh, a great follower of the leader that who is leading you. Um, uh, I, I think if you get the opportunity at a club, if you're blessed with the opportunity to work with both team and individuals, I, I, I do think, I think you can do some group sessions uh, with the team. I, I wouldn't necessarily be one to do something every single week. I, I think that um, I think that you, you want to sit down with the leadership group. You want to talk to that leadership group. And I think you want to find out from the leadership group what they want what they feel the best way for you to operate with them as a, as a group is. Um, I think that they are your gatekeepers to the team in many respects. And I think if they said to you, look, Dan, we don't want you to do group sessions at all. Again, it's a conversation. But um, I, I think that's the first thing you've got to do. What do you, the leaders, the six senior players, if you like, what do you think is the best way to go about this? So I think there's that. I think there is room for, for group sessions. And I think in those group sessions, I would rather do facilitations rather than presentations. So getting as many players talking as possible, which, as you know, can be quite challenging when you've got a group of sure. 25 players who probably don't want to talk and be open and honest. Um, so I, I think you can do that. But I also think you can do mini group stuff, you know, smaller groups that give players more of an opportunity to open up and talk. Um, and then I, I, I really think it's, it's about putting yourself uh, uh, about the place and trying to spark up conversations in the corridors, in the medical department, um, and, and, and working with players individually that way, trying to both formally and informally, you know, those, those informal corridor conversations are really important. You know, hey, how you doing? How's family? Hey, I thought you played really well the other day. I thought you were mentally really on it. Great intensity, great attention, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's important. I think that if you can have formal individual sessions, that can be useful uh, as well. Not every player wants to do that, and that's fine. But I think the last thing to add here, Asmir, is that a truly integrated process um, in any uh, elite football team, it includes a psychologist, a sports like working with the coaching staff as well. Um, I think that that's always really, really useful, you know, challenging them um, in terms of how they go about the psychological side, how they lead, you know, how they're trying to develop teamship in their work, how their, what their relationship with players are like, what motivational climate they're trying to produce, how they're trying to deliver mental skills. Because I think so much of psychology can be done on the pitch, on the training pitch. Um, I think so much can be done in your keep balls, your small-sided games, um, even your passing activities, your shape work, your pattern work. You know, when I've been out there and I'm, I'm standing on the sidelines and I'm watching it, I'm thinking, 
these are, there's so many pockets of moments, uh, chances for leadership, chances for players to experience leadership, chances for players to experience teamship, chances for, for, for players to experience a really stretched activity where they've got to mentally deal with it. Um, so I think that that starts by working closely with the coaching staff. So group work, mini group work, individual work, both formal and informal, and then work with coaches is how I'd go about it. Sports psychologist Dan Abrahams joining me in the season of sports. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at DanAbrahams77 and you won't be disappointed. Um, but Dan, just to kind of touch on that a little bit, you know, I, I've, to go in our relationship, you know, I've, we've never had any formal one-on-one sessions or not that I knew that I was a part of anyway. But um, I love their, I love their casual chats, you know, because I sometimes thought they had more impact. You know, I'd, I'd be in the treatment room or something and I'd be icing my ankle and, for that, for that, for those twenty minutes, you know, you, you'd be around and we just chat something. And I thought after, okay, something stuck with me, right? So I almost think there, because there wasn't any pressure on those chats, there wasn't any expectation on those conversations. And sometimes you just walk away and thinking, okay, I, I learned something there. I learned something that I can take away, whether it was on leadership, whether it was on my approach, whether it's how I could do what I could do to help the team. And I thought, you know, th- those things were always very, very beneficial. And I thought from my observation with you and what I where you gained a lot of my respect was I, I thought first and foremost that you know it's difficult when you go into a team environment and I think you go in a high level team environment and maybe it's the same somewhere like non-league as you say but you were an athlete before and I always thought I always think when I work with people who can relate with athletes I think it makes it really easier and that's just my opinion because you can't you know you can't go with you relate like you've been in my mm. shoes, you know, like, you know, with pressure, you would doubt, you know, it's not all textbook with, with yourself. You know, of course, you educate and everything else, but you've been in those shoes before when you were on on that playing field, whichever way it is. Mm. But you kind of know what if I'm, if I'm giving you a thought and you were like, OK, I've been there before. I think your relatability to players is actually like, I think, a big, big thing. And I think that that always helps. And I think secondly, what you said earlier is the fact is you you sort of molded yourself into an environment and into a culture that, of course, you want to improve and and move forward, but you didn't come in rah, rah, I'm going to do this, we're going to do that and everything. You know, you really slid in there. Sometimes without even being noticed, you had an impact. And I thought that was really, really cool. And how does that sort of go with your experience of, of the past? I think, it's, I think it's really interesting and I, I really appreciate your feedback. I think it's fascinating because it's in my position, you often don't get that kind of feedback. So you're, and you're always wondering, you know, yeah, am I making an impact? Is this working? Is this the right way to do it? And I, and I think it's the toughest thing as, as you're talking now and I'm thinking about it. And, and I, I, what I can say to you, I think the toughest thing for a sports psych, psych is that sweet spot that you're talking about of um, having interactions, being involved, yet not, um, what's, how can I describe it? Involvement, uh, but not being claustrophobic. Um, Having conversations, but not crowding players. Um, Having an impact, but... Um, 
I, I want to say something other than knowing your place, because I, I think that's the, not the right way to put it, because I still think as a sports psychologist, you know, you, you are, it's an important role. Um, but it, it's, it's just finding that sweet spot and it, it's challenging, you know, uh, and it's interesting you saying you found the informal conversations uh, impactful. And I agree with you. If you look at it through the lens that I have, sometimes it's enormously challenging when to have those informal conversations and you just got to pick up on the little micro details you know it might be you know it might be you coming in and getting your wrist bandaged and you just look a little bit you look like you're moving a bit quicker and you look like you might be going somewhere and i know probably is not the time now to start talking to you about your last game of golf that you've had or the latest you know nf uh, uh, NBA basketball game, which I know you're really, really into. Probably yeah, now it's just, hey, just let as be. You know, he's in, he's out. Uh, and and if you're, you know, in the dining room, you're having a conversation with a player uh, and you look like you're having a deep conversation, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to come and sit next to you. And, and it is. Sometimes it's difficult to know when do I go and sit with a player? When do I not? When do I intervene? When do I say something? When do I actually talk about psychology? Or when do I not talk about psychology? So I think there's that side of it. I think the other side of it as well is, as you said, I think it's 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 not appropriate for sports like to come in all guns blazing and rah rah and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And at the same time, you still you know you still feel you've got something to say you still feel you've got a framework or frameworks that you can introduce to players that they might get excited about and and you do want to be able to do that and the reality is sometimes you're going to do that uh, in a room delivering to players and some players are going to go yeah i love this this is awesome and other guys just go or guys or girls, I should say, just go, oh, you know, he's coming in, he's telling us what to do, I'm not interested. I don't think you can win. I don't think you can win that game. Um, you try your best. You try to go about it in the best possible way. It's just getting that sweet spot. I think final thing to say is what you're saying about sport. And I completely agree. And I, that's, a lot of sports psychologists do have sporting backgrounds. I think I, I haven't played football other than at school, but I played professional golf. I know what it's like to have a three-foot putt with no money in my pocket and I'm paying for, playing for quite a bit of money. You know, I know what it's like to stand on the driving range for eight hours a day trying to hone my game. You know, to be quite honest, brutally honest, I know what it's like to come home after a horrendous day missing the cut and be in tears about it. You know, I know what it's like to feel like this is your world, this is your life, and you're going through poor form. And I think it's important to say that we can all imagine ourselves into the shoes or the boots of somebody else. Of course we can. But I, I, I do think when you've been a sports competitor and you know those kind of feelings, um, it is, it's something that, that other sports competitors like. And I agree. I mean, a lot of the conversations I've had with footballers over the years has been golf more so than football. And me just trying to go, hey, how does this apply to football in your in your uh, mind? So yeah, I think that that's I can see why you're saying that. Definitely, definitely. Um, kind of want to move on because to modern times, you know, we've been hit with this pandemic <clears throat> now over the last couple of months, best part of a couple of months. It's been challenging for everybody. I think one of the biggest things is you know the the humongous wave of negativity um, is what 
it's always driven me crazy in life and I think in sports and just my career about people who are negative. Um, would you say the key for people and athletes and everyone um, to get through this, you know, positivity is a big thing. And I guess the second follow-up question is how are you keeping engaged with, with your teams that you work with, your clients that you work with um, at, at, the, at this moment? Yeah. In time? I think it's an interesting one and I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think every individual is different. And I, and I think that um, there's definitely going to be, uh, and, and I know this from the conversations I've had over the last couple of months is uh, I think first and foremost, that I think people have to give themselves permission to be authentic. Um, if, yeah. you know, if, if you're, if you're, you know, if we're talking about football and sport here in particular, everybody's going to be at different stages of their career and in different, different circumstances. And, and lockdown has been very, very impactful uh, in a negative way for a lot of people in terms of their career, in terms of their, their potential opportunities. And I do think one has to, you know, you have to give people space to be themselves and to, and, uh, and and to be authentic in terms of, you know, if, if if you're feeling pretty low about it, then give yourself that space. Give yourself that space. Have that have that time. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Um, that's a great way of putting it. Actually, it's a great way. Of yeah, putting it. I, I, I think it's it's not about being negative. It's not about being negative. It's about being authentic. You know, and there's not going to be people who can punch the air and sort of say everything's great when it's not. And I just sometimes feel that, you know, if you give yourself some space to be authentic, to be a bit flat and a bit down for a bit, and I'm not saying for two months nonstop, you know, then we can start talking about well-being and welfare problems. Then we can start even talking about mental health problems, you know. But if we're talking about the normal population here and you just feel a bit, like, oh, wow, I can't believe that happened. I'm feeling a bit down at the moment. That's okay. That's okay. I think at some stage, at some stage, you've got to create a narrative in your mind, a story. Because like. that's, how, that's how we work as human beings. We have a narrative. We have a story. You know, and often the most successful people are the ones who can um, drive their own narrative and their own story, especially through tough times, through challenging times. Um, I think at some stage you've got to have a narrative um, that helps you become mentally alert to the opportunities that you do have. I'll repeat that again because I think that's important. Just a narrative yeah. that helps you become mentally alert to the opportunities that you do have. You know, and then we start thinking, well, what can I do? You know, you know, as a goalkeeper, I can do fitness. I can do some handling work here it might not, it not be ideal you know probably there's no yeah. nobody delivering crosses for me but i can do something you know i can spend a pocket of two minutes three minutes here and there reflecting on my best games reflecting on my dream games you know and even breaking those down into um sort of a couple of key words you know as a goalkeeper when i'm at my best i'm alert and alive or I'm dominant and commanding. Okay, what does dominant and commanding look like? What does it feel like? What do others see when I'm dominant and commanding? Now, what we know in science is none of that replaces physical practice, that mental rehearsal, but it's something. You're being alert to the opportunities that you do have. I can do some mental rehearsal. And I always talk to players about 1% time. 1% of your day mm -hmm. is approximately 15 minutes. 
I think accurately, it's like 16 minutes and 20 seconds. But let's go with 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Okay. Nice nice even, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just spend 1% of your day just um, immersing yourself in your best games, in your dream games, in those key words that resemble or represent you at your best. Yeah, have some fun with those pictures. You don't have to do anything funky. You don't have to put your thumb and forefinger together and go home, okay? You don't have to cross your legs. You don't have to levitate. You can just do it while you're, while you're brushing your teeth. You can do it while you're preparing some food. Your, your pictures, don't, it doesn't have to be picture perfect. It can be a bit fuzzy, but you're just creating a nice blueprint on your brain and your nervous system. It's being alert to the opportunity. And then, as we said, what else can I do? Well, I can do those handling activities or drills. You know, I can do that footwork on my own. And, and I think what I would like to say there, what we know from skill acquisition, the research literature there, is that if you are doing isolated practice, if you are on your own, uh, you're doing footwork on your own, or you're doing handling on your own, or you know, you're doing keepy-uppies, all the things that players will do, um, even just imagining that you're with somebody else, even if you're just bouncing a ball up against the wall and you're controlling the ball, even if you're just imagining that ball is coming back, uh, it's, it's a pass from a player. Just imagine there's a player to your left or you to, to your right. Obviously, I'm talking about outfield players here, but there's a player to your left or your right, you know, and you're checking, you know, you're checking that, you're checking that, you're checking that. That's useful. That's some, that's that that's that that is more representative of what you'd experience in a game. So using your imagination when you've got the ball at your feet or ball in your hands, using your imagination can be useful um, there. And then I just, I just think outside of those more practical ideas, from a, from a well-being perspective, as I think it's about watching your words. Again, as a psychologist, what we know is that well-being is affected by extreme words, um, words like disaster nightmare catastrophe um words that are very emotionally driven if you can just make sure that you're using sentences phrases words that are a little bit more rational a little bit bit calmer you know in terms of hey things aren't great right now uh, i'm not 100 percent delighted that i'm locked down but it is what it is right now okay what can i do I'm not saying we're sprinkling magic dust over you, but just using rational words, using words that aren't too emotionally laden, that aren't too extreme, can be very, very helpful right now. That's a, that's a useful thing. Hey, look, there's loads of things I could go on, but I'm, you know, I'm sure we want to move on to something else. No, no, I think I think that's awesome insight. I think it's you know. Just, just amazing, amazing insight, and of course, advice as well. I think the biggest thing I learned, I guess, for a couple, couple months back now, is that sort of reshuffling of okay. your energy. Um, you know, you you have your job as an athlete, of course, and as you say, how can you get better one percent mm-hmm. at a time? You know, whether it's doing mental training, whether it's um, going back to the past games hand-eye coordination, reactions, fitness. There's always something you can work on. I thought, you know, like, also as a person, you can grow. You know, I've been reading a lot of books and studying different stories and, you know, being more at home, being more present. So there's different ways of, I think, you can evolve as well as a person and just kind of reshuffling that energy that was 
used up all in the pitch before and it 100 percent you know diverged well, okay, okay. Um, yeah. i think that that, that that that's that's helped me kind of get through the, that that lockdown period before we went i love to that work. And, and just briefly coming back at you there i think that again in, in in sports in the sports psychology or even psychology world we would call that identity and 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 what you're saying is uh, uh, we're almost trading places here, as I mean, that was a great thing to say from a psychological perspective. So you can be a sports psychologist after your uh, career. Go. Players over, but it's, it's, it's a very, very, very important and pertinent thing uh, for, for, for footballers at all levels. Because, uh, as I say to players, um, because we're so passionate about our sport and we're trying to be the best that we can be, it can be all encompassing uh, and uh, completely immersed in this one thing. And I, I, I use uh, actually the uh, metaphor of shirts. We, we put our football shirt on and we tend to never take it off um, because we don't think we should because we're like, oh, I've got to, got to train well, got to do this, got to do... Everything's got to be yeah. perfect. And actually healthier... Um, is to take that football shirt off and, as you said, you know, put on your dad's shirt, as you would do because you've got kids. Put on your husband's shirt, okay? Put on, you know, your brother's shirt. You've got a brother. Put on, put on your golf shirt because you're a golfer. Put on your reading shirt, etc., etc. So it's just having those different identities. I love what you've said there, using lockdown to actually um, change your shirts a little bit more. Uh, and enjoy being present in the other shirts, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. so so Love true, it. so true. It's a great way of putting it. Great way of putting it. Um, we're, we've got a couple of questions in from our listeners, but before we get into those, um, you've got a lot of other things you've done, of course, and going on. Um, you've written four books, um, <clears throat> yep. I believe, one, one that, that I know of: Soccer yep. Tough One and Two, Golf Tough, yep. Soccer Brain. Um, plus, you're doing a podcast, the Sport yep. Psych Show. Um, which is well worth to listen to everybody. So, guys, make sure you check it out. Where can you get the books? Where just and, and listen to the podcast. Yes, yeah, uh, sure. thank you so much. Um, so, uh, the the classic place for the books, um, Amazon uh, dot uk and Amazon dot com, uh, and for those in and around Europe, um, there's a great website called the Book Depository dot uh, the book depository.co.uk, which has free international um, delivery. Um, and there's a, there's a Spanish version, Turkish version, um, and a Portuguese version of Soccer Tough. I know that. Um, and then the sports site show my podcast, um, to be honest with you, yeah, just the usual channels, just um, pop on to um, Google. And if you just Google the sports site show, probably my name as well but you should it should come up anywhere and it's itunes and the usual kind of um android apps so you'll be able to you'll be able to find it nice um i love it definitely definitely recommend yeah. those so we've got a couple of questions in from our listeners one from one of our very loyal listeners milan obsession who we uh, very <laughs> much love on the show ac milan have had three different owners four different sporting directors in the past four years there have been nine different managers in the past six years is it even possible for a team to develop a winning mentality with so much change how can players protect mentality their winning mentality with such a club or such a, such a club mentality that wow has a lot okay of how do i how do i answer that 
I'll take the fact that it's a loaded question. The first thing I'd say is that obviously as a sports psychologist, I have to be very, very ethical and, and careful about um, commenting on, on um, environments, commenting about other players and commenting on environments that I've not been into and, and, and don't know about. I think that's the first thing to say. I think, I think uh, you know, you and I both know that um, uh, football is always changing. Um, the the one thing, one constant is that there never is a constant, uh, and so I think the onus are more and more on players is to uh, have the tools and techniques, the capacity to work on their own, own mindset, uh, irrespective of what's happening at their at their club. Uh, certainly from an individual perspective. Um, so I, uh, you know. Uh, hey, Milan is Milan, right? You know, you're, you, you know yourself, uh, as you do yourself. Everyone's going to have, by and large, a very, very good uh, mentality when it comes to competitiveness. Um, could, it, could it be better for, 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 for players? Often it can be, but every player will have their way of doing things. Um, I'm sure they'll be working, um, you know, you and your colleagues will be, and teammates will be working on their mentality every day anyway. Um and I think that players go into this knowing that things are going to change. Um, so, so I'm not, um, you know, look, I'm not saying, and whether you want to comment on this, I don't know, but I'm not saying every player can deal with every situation thrown at them. And I've certainly been in environments where it's, where it's changed a lot and players have sort of scratched their heads and thought, oh, this is tough here. This is really challenging. Uh, especially when you have, I don't know, three or four different managers in the season and the game model changes all the time. And so you're suddenly playing different roles, different positions, different responsibilities. That can be very, very challenging. But, you, you know, you've, 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 you've got to look to yourself to be able to deal with that and have your own plan. And, that, and that's, for me, as that's what I always say to players is, what is your framework? What's your mental skills framework? You know, let's sit down and work on this mental skills framework. I want you as a player to be able to go on the pitch, be able to say to me, Dan, I'm playing this Saturday and I'm doing this, this and this mentally. So that if we do go a goal behind, I know exactly how I'm going to deal with it. If we go a goal up, I know how I'm going to deal with it. If I make a few mistakes, I know how I'm going to handle myself. I know how to get into my best possible mindset through my warm up going into those first five minutes. I want players to be able to articulate that to me. I think that's why. So I think many can. Um, I think many can be better at that. But I think that, that's first and foremost thing, no matter what's happening at the club. Um, do, do, I, do yeah. I think that those situations are ideal from a teamship perspective, from a leadership perspective, uh, from an organisational perspective? Of, of course I don't. Clubs have their reason. I'm sure Milan have their reason, right? Yeah, of course. No, I think you raised valid, valid points there. I mean, I've only been here myself four or five months, so what's happened before, it's impossible to comment on. I think there's general um, points that that make sense. I guess illogical because if you're if you're a club and everyone's pushing the same direction, you're yeah. gonna be a lot more successful. If you're chopping and changing, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. And I think from a player's point of view, um, just control what you can. Your daily effort, your your yeah. daily training habits what you can and don't worry about too much um, you try not to worry about too much what's going on off the pitch and let those people make those decisions that will get paid to get paid yeah. to make those decisions so that's my that's my take on the situation moving on to another question we have another question from Ian Aristri 
Um, Dan, what do you think separates a goalkeeper psychologically from the from the rest of the field players, so the outfield players, having worked with oh, them before? Maybe you're in a better position. Yeah, well, yeah well, I tell you what, as over the last 15 years, whenever I, it's funny, whenever I've gone into a club and I have delivered a presentation as the first sort of port of call, more often than not, it's usually the goalkeepers who are the first people to come and have a conversation. And, and I, look, clearly, as it's because you guys are smarter than everybody else. And also, <laughs> I just think, as you'd say yourself, and I'm sure it's even cliche to say it now, that... Um, it's a position, it's the last line of defence, and it's the most, you know, it's a very, very strong argument to suggest that it's the most pressured position as a consequence of that. Um, so I think that, that clearly um, there's that dynamic, last line of defence, so any mistakes are going to be magnified. Um, so there's, there's a, a, a degree or an overwhelm of pressure from that perspective. Um, I think the way you guys train as well is interesting, you know, because it's, um, you know, it's still physiologically hard. Um, you know, it's, you can train, uh, I suppose, a little bit more like a golfer in many respects. You know, you can get more reps in if that's something that you feel is important. So I think the way you guys train is, uh, is, is interesting. And so that makes it slightly uh, unique as well um and obviously the viewpoint you're getting you're getting you're standing at the back you know com coming to the game day here you're standing at the back you're seeing the 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 the, the, the pitch in front of you um you i think it's a position that dem demands being being vocal and being commanding and demanding of others um so uh, i think of all positions on the pitch you know that's where there's some real demands on you there. A lot of outfield players can get away not having that quality um, and staying silent for most of the game, whereas I think a goalkeeper has to be more vocal, more organised uh, or more organising. And so having that communication ability is important as well. So I think those are the three things uh, that, would, that, that would separate you guys. Absolutely. No, I, th I think it's great. I mean, listen, I think we're just we're an individual and a team sport, and I think we're, mm -hmm. we're we're so separated at times that we have our own coach. We have just a different way, a different job, and of course, we come together as a team at some points and and for the most important thing, which is the match. So it's it's a very different position. I mean, we can talk a lot about it, but it's just very very different, and that's why it can be divided, yeah. and we have our own special coach and work in our own environment. So um, it's two different. Very, very, two different jobs, basically. Um, but Dan, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been truly amazing. This chat, um, absolutely love it. And I hope our, our listeners, I'm sure they will take a lot from this. And can't thank you enough for your time. As I said, guys, make sure you follow Dan on Twitter at DanAbraham77. Um, follow him there and make sure you get all his books and listen to his podcast. You won't be disappointed, that's for sure. Um, and thank you again, Dan. Really, really appreciate it. Stay safe and look after yourself. Absolutely, honor, mate. You too. You too. Take care.